Good morning. Good morning to those of you who are watching online and have tuned in. Uh, let me fill you in what's happened with me. Um, Monday evening, Jonathan and I were working on the house and we were up on scaffolding. And I came down off the scaffolding and stepped into a little hole and rolled my ankle and or rolled my foot and fractured my ankle. And so I get to wear this fashionable little boot for a couple of weeks, but thankfully uh, nothing beyond that, no surgery or anything. So I, I'm very grateful for that. And uh, so just just the boot and and some physical therapy and, and we're good. I wanted to wear tennis shoes with my boot today, but your pastor's wife said no. So I got on my dress shoe, but um, thank you for being here today. I know this is a special day in the life of our country, and we want to make sure that we honor that, but also, most importantly, we want to talk about our relationship with God. During the Civil War, Secretary of the Treasury, Salmon P. Chase, received a letter on November the 13th, 1861. It was written by a pastor, Reverend M.R. Watkinson, who is a minister of the gospel of Ridleyville, Pennsylvania. And here's what he wrote. He said, Dear Sir, you are about to submit your annual report to Congress respecting the affairs of national finances. One fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of Almighty God in some form on our coins. And so he makes the case in this letter about why we should put our faith in God on our coins. And then he ends his letter by saying, this would place us openly under the divine protection we have personally claimed. From my heart, I have felt our national shame in disowning God as not the least of our present national disasters. That was written in the days of the Civil War. About a week later, as a result of that letter, Secretary Chase instructed James Pollock, who was the director of of the Mint, in Philadelphia to prepare a motto, and in the letter, it was dated uh, November the 20th, 1861, he said, Dear Sir, now this is the Secretary of Treasury writing, and he says, Dear Sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God, or safe except in His defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause a device to be prepared without unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and tersest words possible this national recognition. So since the days of the Civil War, we have openly confessed these words, in God we trust. And that's been on our coins since the days of the Civil War. What I did not realize is that it was not on our paper currency until much later On July the 11th, 1955, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed into law a bill that required the inscription, In God We Trust, to be on all paper money and not just on our coins. And so if you were to look at a dollar bill or any paper currency, you would see, for example, on the back of the dollar bill, those four powerful words, In God We Trust. And then the very next year, after this was done, the very next year, another law was passed by the 84th Congress and approved by the President on July the 30th, 1956, declaring, In God We Trust, to be the national motto of the United States of America. And so, here's what I want you to hear me say. I want you to hear my heart on this. 245 years ago, on this date, July the 4th, 
Our country declared her independence, but it was never intended to be an independence from God. From the very beginning, our nation has declared its faith in God and officially in the days of the Civil War and later in the 50s, officially declared our faith in God. Let me just summarize it this way. Folks, I love Jesus and I love America and it's in that order. And I thank God for the freedoms that we have in in this country because those freedoms are made possible because of our trust in God. Ben Franklin said, listen to this, this is such a good quote. Ben Franklin said, man will ultimately be governed by God or by tyrants. Men will ultimately be governed by God or by tyrants. Now today is the final message in this series called, My God. We're looking at what happens when a person's life is governed by God. What happens in a person's life when that person can declare, in God, I trust? Right now, we're not talking about a nation. What happens in a person's life when they declare their trust in God? And so we've been looking at various testimonies in this series of people who declared their trust in God, and they declared uh, what their relationship was like. They, They gave testimony about their relationship with God. So today we're going to do that again in this final message of the series. But before I look at that testimony, before we open God's Word and and look at this personal testimony of someone's first-hand encounter with God, let me tell you a little bit about the man who shares his testimony with us. At one time he lived a fairy tale life, but in a moment it all turned into a bad dream. He experienced disappointment and discouragement and despair on a level that would equal or exceed anything any of of us have ever experienced. He endured family fights that just never seemed to end. He stood at the freshly dug grave of an infant son. And later in life, he tragically lost another son. And his life was marred and scarred by sinful choices he had made. But sometime late in life, this same man looked back on all that had happened to him and he realized that his trust in the Lord is what had really made the difference in his life. This man's name, of course, is David and the testimony of his first-hand encounter with God is found in that wonderful psalm, Psalm 23. Would you take God's Word and open God's Word to Psalm 23? While you're turning there, David in Psalm 23, of course, speaks in a very personal way about his relationship with God. It is quite a testimony of his relationship with God. He speaks in the first person. There's no references to we or us or they. Instead, David speaks of my and me and I. You can find an example of that in the very first line of the psalm. David begins the psalm with these words, the Lord is my shepherd. Interesting thing is that David was a shepherd himself. He'd grown up as a shepherd. You probably know that. And as a young man, he probably had been out in the fields with the sheep hundreds of times. There were probably hundreds and hundreds of days that he spent out in the pastures taking care of the sheep. And now, many scholars believe he writes these words, this testimony, later in life. Perhaps as an old man, reflecting back on his relationship with God, 
reflecting back on his life. And David realized that God had done for him what he had done for the sheep he used to look after. David realizes the Lord is my shepherd. Can I ask you a personal question today? Is he yours? Is he your shepherd? Did you know it's possible to know all about God and it's possible to believe in God and it's possible to serve God and he still not be your shepherd? He still not be yours. I mean, it might be that you've never made the shepherd your shepherd. That's what I'm talking about. Or, or maybe you've never made the Savior your Savior. So there's five lessons I want to get to. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. Five lessons in Psalm 23 about this testimony of when God is your shepherd. Here's the first thing I want you to see. David helps us understand that it's possible to know God personally. And, and I know that's not new information for anybody here. But I want you to see the power in these words. The very first five words of this psalm really set the foundation, laid the foundation for the rest of everything David's going to say. And you can't understand Psalm 23 unless you understand these words. And so let's look at it a little closely. The Lord. Let's stop right there. That word Lord is the Hebrew word Jehovah, and it means the self-existent God. In other words, the God who doesn't need anything to exist. He's self-existent. It also means the God who is eternal. There's never been a time when He wasn't God. David says the Lord, Jehovah, the self-existent eternal God who created everything. The self-existent eternal God who was there before the world began. David said, he is the one who is my shepherd. It's almost audacious to even think in those terms, is it not? To think that you can have a relationship with the God who did all of that. And yet that's exactly David's testimony. His testimony is the moment you invite Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, you have a relationship with the eternal God of the heavens. Imagine being able to say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. Turn over one page, or at least it is in my Bible, but to the very next Psalm, Psalm 24. David describes this God, this Lord. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's, the earth is Jehovah's, the God who is self-existent and eternal. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. David wrote that psalm too. And David is describing God. He says, that's the one. The Lord, the self-existent eternal God who created everything. Who founded the world on the waters. He is my shepherd. And ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege to tell you today, as a minister of the gospel, you can have a relationship with that same God. You can have a personal relationship with the God who is eternal. The God who is sovereign over the world. You can know Him personally. That was David's testimony. The Lord is my shepherd. And then the second thing I want you to see in Psalm 23 is my shepherd knows and meets my needs. After David made the declaration that the Lord, the eternal self-existent God, is my shepherd, then he made this deduction, I shall not be in want. 
Doesn't that make sense? If the Lord, self-existing, eternal God of the universe, is really your shepherd, do you really have to want for anything? I mean, it'd be kind of like saying, the owner of BMW is my dad, so I don't have to worry about getting a car. Or, the CEO of Apple is my mom, so I don't ever worry about an iPad or, or a cell phone. Why would I worry about those things if, if that's who my mom is or that's who my dad is? David said, because of who my shepherd is, I'm confident he will meet all of my needs. In fact, the CSB translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. Say those words with me, I have what I need. That's David's testimony. I hope it's yours too. And David gave the example of how the shepherd takes care of him. How the shepherd meets his needs. David said this in verse 2. He talks about God's provision. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I did a little research and I found out that sheep, hungry sheep don't lie down. When you see a sheep lying down, it means that their tummies are full. And David says, he, my shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He provides more than I need. And then he talks about God's wisdom, verse 2. He leads me beside quiet waters. In Palestine, if you've ever been there, if you've ever been to Israel, water is difficult to find. But David said, God in His wisdom knows where the water is. God in His wisdom knows how to meet every need that I have. God in His wisdom leads me to those places where I can rest and be refreshed. And then in verse 3, he talks about God's forgiveness. He restores my soul. On more than one occasion, David needed that. On more than one occasion, God retrieved David from sin and renewed his soul. And then he talks about God's guidance in verse 3. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sheep need a shepherd to show them where to go. Because to a sheep, every path looks like the right path. But the shepherd knows the way. So this is the testimony of a man who is very content and very confident in his God. Do you have that kind of confidence? Do you have that kind of con contentment in your relationship with God? Some Christians that I've seen over the years just seem to be dissatisfied with life and maybe even dissatisfied with God. Feeling somehow that the grass must be greener somewhere else and so they wander. We even have a hymn that talks about that, don't we? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Philip Keller tells the story that he once owned a sheep that typified this type of person. He said one of his most attractive and most healthy sheep had one fault. She was restless and discontent. He called her Mrs. Gadabout. He said no matter what field or pasture this particular sheep was in, she would search the fences to find, try to find a way to get to the other side. Didn't matter how nice the pasture was, she always searched the fences, walked the fences, trying to find a way to get to the other side. And he said it was incredible. She would sometimes leave the best pasture in the valley and wander to another pasture that was bare and barren and burned. And no matter how good the shepherd was, how much he did for her, she still wanted something else. Some Christians are Mrs. Gadabouts or Mr. Gadabout. No matter how much God has done for you, it's like you still want something else. 
You keep searching the fence line, trying to find a way to get to the other side. You still think there's something greener, something better over there. But let me tell you a secret. If you are restless and discontented, you will never find satisfaction in the other fields. You will only find contentment and satisfaction in following your shepherd. David then goes on in the psalm to say, number three, my shepherd is with me in the scary times of life. See, a change occurs when we get to verse four. In the first three verses, God's referred to in the third person. He talks about he. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. But in verses 4 through 5, David referred to God in first person. In verses 4 and 5, David says you. Or to put it another way, in verses 1 through 3, David's talking about God. He's giving us a testimony about God. But in verses 4 through 5, he's talking to God. So verses 1 through 3, it's, it's this testimony about what God has done. Verses 4 through 5 is a conversation that he's having with God. And in this conversation David's having with God, he marvels at God's constant presence. Verse 4, here's how he says it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, That's referring to those times in our lives that are scary and uncertain and dangerous. Those moments when you brush up against death in a doctor's office. Those moments when somebody you love brushes up against death in a car wreck. Those moments when you hurt so badly physically that you wish you could die. Or you hurt so badly emotionally that you wish you could die. Dark valleys are those times in life that are uncertain. Those times in life when fear and doubt take the center stage in our thinking. The CSB translation says, Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was that stick that the shepherd used to beat off the wolves and the ferocious animals. The staff was that stick that the shepherd used, had the crook on the end of it to pull the sheep back into the fold. And David said, the the shepherd is helping me and protecting me and guarding me. It's interesting in verse 4, the shepherd's no longer out front leading the sheep. Now he's pictured as coming alongside David during this time of need. I, I went to the therapist on Friday, first time, I need to stand up for a moment. <laughs> First time I have ever been to a physical therapist. I, I've been fortunate. God has blessed me. I've never had to have surgery in my entire life. I've, I've never been to physical therapy or anything like that. I've just been very fortunate. So I went to physical therapy for the first time in my life. And I sat down and I was filling, up, filling out that stack of paper you've got to fill out for new patients, you know. I'm filling all that out and an elderly lady comes into the waiting area and sits down and... and uh, before too long, the PT came by and said, Hey, Miss So-and-so, are you doing good? And this is an elderly, elderly lady. And she kind of smirked and said, If I was doing good, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> and I started to thinking about what she said. And I thought, boy, she's right. And I started looking around. None of us were doing good. Every person that was there, we were all broken in one way or another. 
We all had our problems. The guy right beside me, uh, on the table beside me, he, it was his leg they were working on, and the lady on the table beyond him, it was her back, and the guy over in the corner, it was his shoulder that they were working with, and, and the elderly lady who finally was standing there in front of me once we got back there, uh, she was walking with the assistance of the PT and trying to build up her strength and gain her balance, and they were working on, now pick your foot up and go over the doorstep. And I stood there, or I sat there, as they were working on my ankle, and I thought, all of us have our own problem. None of us are good. None of us are in good shape. But isn't it good that we've got somebody who come alongside us to help us? David said, that's what God is for me. He's my shepherd. He comes alongside. He's not just out front leading me. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He comes alongside us to help us. And then I want you to notice another word in verse 4. It's the word through. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That word is important because you need to remember, and some of you need to be encouraged to know, that trials don't last forever. It just feels that way sometimes. That word through means that your trial has an end. Dark days and deep valleys are part of the journey, but they're not the destination. David said, it comforts me to know that even in this dark valley, my shepherd is taking care of me. And he's walking with me through this experience. David learned an important lesson. The valley isn't good, but the shepherd is. Then we come to the fourth lesson in Psalm 23. And that is, David's testimony is this. My shepherd has been good to me. In verse 5, something interesting happens. In the first four verses, David spoke about walking with the shepherd. In the final two verses of Psalm 23, he speaks as if he's dwelling with a friend. The whole word picture changes in Psalm 23. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. First four verses, he's talking about walking with the shepherd. Verses 5 and 6, the last two verses of the psalm, it really is the picture of, of dwelling or spending time with a friend. Here's how David described it in his testimony. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You need to know that in Bible days, a meal was often more than a social occasion. In Bible days, it was sometimes very symbolic. It sometimes represented a, a covenant between two or more people. If you're establishing a covenant, for example, some of the Old Testament kings, when they established a covenant with another king, they would sit down and take a meal together. It was a way of culminating that covenant. Even in the New Testament, when Jesus was about to initiate it, the new covenant through the blood he would shed on the cross. The night before he did that, he had a meal, a last supper with his disciples. David depicts God as this gracious, generous host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you haven't run my enemies off. They're still there. Problems are still present in my life. There's still some issues I have to deal with. But, but you have been good to me, God, even in the presence of my enemies. And then he describes it this way. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. My cup overflows is a way of talking about God's extravagant blessings. He is generous and he is giving. Can somebody give witness to that? 
God is good and God is generous. I mean, when I think about the 61 years that I have lived and the 50 years that I have known God personally, I can say my cup overflows. When I think about my parents and I think about my brothers, when I think about my wife and my kids and my grandkids, when I think about my church family and my health and all the experiences God has allowed me to have over the years, I could say quite honestly to you today, my cup overflows. I bet some of you could do that too. Now, Pastor Keith, have there been hard times? Oh, sure there have. Have I shed some tears over the years? Yes. Have I been through some dark valleys? Absolutely. But like David, I can say as he did in this testimony, God has been good to me. Which brings me to the fifth point. David's testimony is this, the best is yet to come. He says it this way in verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David spoke with confidence. Watch this. About this life and about the life to come. First of all, he talks about this life. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. All the days of this life. There's an interesting choice of words there when he says, Surely goodness and love will follow. Follow me. Uh, We would think that maybe David would say it this way. Surely goodness and love will lead me. That's not what he says. He says, surely goodness and love will follow me. All the days of my life. You know, that phrase, follow me, simply means to go where you go. On Friday, I was going to have breakfast with a man and and we met at a certain place. And I said, do you know where this is? And he said, no, I don't know where we're going. I said, just follow me. And that's exactly what he did. He stayed right behind me. So he went where I went. He turned left when I turned left. He turned right when I turned right. He stopped when I stopped. He was was with me the whole time, just right behind me. And David said, I want you to understand something. Wherever I go in life, whatever I experience in life, I have found that God's goodness and God's love follow me. They're always with me. But this verse gets even more amazing because David uses this next phrase. He says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Now, wouldn't it be more appropriate to say, maybe even more accurate to say, most of the days of my life? Because some of you right now will say, you know what, I, not every day I've, I've lived is a good day. In fact, some of you went through some hard days and How could David say, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life? Maybe we ought to change that to most days. But listen to me. This verse is not saying that all your days are good. It's not what it's saying. This verse is saying that if God is your shepherd, there is not a day of your life that He's not right there with you. All the days of your life, He's right there with you. His goodness and His love never leave you. They follow you through the darkest valleys of life. So David talks about this life. And then he talks about the life to come, where he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. What's that last word? Forever. Now don't miss this. God is with us in this life, and then we go to be with Him in the next. 
He's with us here on earth. And then we go to be with Him in heaven. And there's two words I want, to focus, want you to focus on in these last few minutes. It's the word dwell in verse 6. And the word forever. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the next life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is a home at the end of your journey. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know if you've heard this story from Mark Rick. He posted it this week on social media. And he says these words. He says, I've been waddling around lately and people have asked me what's wrong. I've decided to tell everyone at the same time I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Mark Rick, former head football coach at Georgia Bulldogs. He says, I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Truthfully, as I look at it, I'm, let me try again. Truthfully, I look at it as a momentary light affliction compared to the future glory in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for promising us a future blessing of a glorified body that has no sin and no disease. In the meantime, I'm going to enjoy the blessings I do have. That is a man who knows the shepherd. That is a man who knows the shepherd. If you want to know what a Christian looks like and acts like, you just read this. Walking through a dark valley. Thank you, Jesus, for promising us a future blessing of a glorified body. We were singing a song a few moments ago. That I don't know the, the name of the song, Corey, but there was a line that we sang. It says, I know the plans He has for me. Don't finish at my grave. I love that. I know the plans He has for me. They don't finish at my grave. The best really is yet to come if you know Christ as Savior. But let me tell you about one day when Jesus was walking this earth and He saw a crowd of people. And Matthew takes note of what Jesus saw. He didn't just see a crowd of people. Matthew describes it this way in Matthew 9.36. When Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Not everyone has a relationship with the shepherd. Some people are trying to live life on their own. Some people are trying to do life on their own. Some people are trying to be in charge of their life. Not everybody has a relationship with the shepherd. Who's in charge of your life? Is your testimony, the Lord is my shepherd? In my first church, I had a deacon who became like a second father to me. He, I was a young man. I started pastoring when I was 26. And God gave me an older deacon who was just my rock. He was the man that mentored me in many ways. He was a second father to me. He was a dear man. His name was Curtis Robbins. I don't remember how long ago. It's been six, seven, eight years ago now. Curtis was dying. Laying in bed. And his fam family around him. And his son Steve opened the Word of God and began to read Psalm 23. 
Curtis had his hand on Steve's wife's arm, Linda. When Steve got to the word my, Curtis couldn't say a word. He was dying. He couldn't say a word. Too weak. But when he got to the word my, Curtis squeezed her arm really tight. The Lord is my shepherd. That was his final testimony. Makes a difference. If you can say with confidence. Lord is my shepherd. Doesn't mean you won't walk through dark valleys. But it does mean when you walk through those dark valleys. He's going to be right there with you. and You're not walking through them alone. It also means that he's going to meet the needs of your life. Because He is Jehovah God, the eternal, self-existent God. He's going to meet the needs of your life. He's going to help you in this life, and He's going to prepare you for the life to come. So let me ask you this. The last word of the Psalm 23 is the word forever. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me ask you this. Where is your forever going to be? We all have a forever. For a lot of you, your forever is in heaven. Your home is going to be there. For some of you, perhaps, your forever is in hell. You're either going to be with God for all eternity, or you're going to be separated from God for all eternity. Where is your forever going to be? The testimony of David was, the Lord is my shepherd. And because that is true, I will spend forever with him. I've said this many times in funerals, but when you die as a Christian, you don't leave home. You go home. Forever. With him. I want you to bow your heads. I want to ask you that question one final time. Where is your forever You might believe God, believe in God. You might say that you have served God. You may know about God. But if you cannot say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd, then today you need to trust Him as your Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you and I could have that personal relationship with God. So that you and I could turn away from the sin in our life and turn to the one who is sinless. No way you and I could have a relationship with God or an eternal home in heaven apart from the cross of Jesus Christ that He died for your sin. He died in your place. And He makes it possible. Because His blood will cover all of your sin. He makes it possible for you to have a relationship with God. But it's only when you put your faith in Him that you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord has been my shepherd now for 50 years. When I was 11 years old, I put my faith in Him. And today, on July the 4th, 2021, 
as we celebrate our independence as a nation, today you can find freedom in Jesus Christ. Freedom that will last a lifetime and all eternity. Freedom from your sin. Freedom from your failure. Freedom from your guilt. Freedom from, the, from this, this weight some of you are carrying. Today I'm going to be down front and I'm going to ask you to put your faith in Christ. You cannot say with confidence and with certainty, the Lord is my shepherd. I want you to come as soon as we stand. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Would you stand right now as we sing?